Hi everyone, welcome to the HW Property Show. Today we've got a special guest on, we've got Jasmine on, and we're going to go through quite a few things to do with um, the BR strategy and property, refurbishment and all that on the whole. Um, I just want to say before we get into the episode, a big thank you for everyone who's joined the Facebook group. We've hit a thousand members um, today. This is the Thursday. I know it's going out tomorrow, but this is Thursday. We've hit the thousand member mark. We've done it in 54 days. Um, so we're going to keep pushing forward and we're still going for that 6,000 member goal by September next year. Um, I also want to say with this episode, we're, as we're, we're not able to film it live and we're going to be sending it out. Um, it's going to be going live, but it won't actually be live. We're going to put about half the episode on Facebook and then the rest of the episode will be on Spotify in a podcast form for you all to listen to when you're driving or anything else. We're also going to be cutting this down into clips, so make sure to watch some of the clips to get some of the highlights throughout next week. So, Jason, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Harry. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Perfect, perfect. Had a good week? Oh, yes, we had. It was quite an interesting week. We've been working on a few development projects and at the same time looking, evaluating new opportunities. Quite interesting. You expect the market to slow down towards Christmas. However, people are all just accelerating, trying to get things sorted before they go into the holiday mode. Yeah, it seems to, it seems to be getting busier and busier at the moment. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, look, we'll just go straight into the first question because I'm itching um, to get some knowledge for myself and the viewers who will be watching. So, let's go into a bit about you first. How did you get started into property? How I actually did not start into property. I started into the construction sector. My bachelor's degree is in civil engineering and... Before that, uh, before I went to do my bachelor's while I was, I think, about 14 years old, since then I have been having some kind of interest in property, real estate, housing, housing market in India. And um, uh, destiny, you might call it, I got into civil engineering. And once I completed that, since then I've been in the construction and the real estate space. Awesome, awesome. So you started off in India? Yeah, I started off in India. Uh, worked there for about uh, five, six years. Then I moved to uh, Doha, Qatar. Worked there for about close to two years and then moved from Doha to UK. Is it so? Is it quite different in India, um, the property market? Or... Actually, no. It's not. No, it's, it's very similar. Be it uh, Doha, be it India, be it Australia, be it UK. It's almost very similar. There are a few elements which are very different. Like we have HMOs here, which is completely regulated. There are HMOs in Doha as well, but they are non-regulated and they are illegal. So, so no people, rules people, at all. No rules at all. People just build partition walls and rent them out by rooms. Or with en-suites and with a kitchenette facility. So like they take the villas over there are massive. People take that partition it out and give it here. It's completely regularized. I think it's more to do with RICS as well, you know, because RICS has kind of regulated the whole market. RICS has regulated how they do commercial valuations on these properties, how they do brick and mortar valuations on these properties, a process for uh, valuing it. And that's how the governing body has made it more regulated. So what, what, what types of things did you do then in India? Can we go on into a bit more detail about that? Sorry, come again. I didn't get your question. So when you were working in India, what was your main day job? 
Okay, my, I was working as a management consultant. Uh, I we, we used to advise large developers uh, who build integrated townships or who build industrial townships. Uh, when I say township, I'm referring to the, uh, the development being over minimum land area of 25 to 30 acres and going all the way up to 5,000 acres. So you started so, straight uh, into big projects? Yes, we started advising them how to go about their projects, what they could uh, bring into those regions to make them stand out. Like, for example, uh, we worked on something called a electronic manufacturing cluster. So now with electronic manufacturing, you need to have certain types of electronic manufacturing companies in the zone. And in order to attract them, you need to provide them living facilities as well. So social amenities, what do you provide? How, how do you provide? Like we have national space standards, we have a similar standard back in India. So based on that, what do you provide how much of what quantum? Okay. So be it residential, be it, a, uh, how do you arrive at a configuration of uh, a mix of one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom apartments? How many individual detached houses do you create? How do you create a gated community? How do you create, what kind of social amenities do you provide? Do you provide a healthcare facility versus providing a mall, a cinema hall? To what extent do you go ahead to provide all of that? I can imagine yeah, like, um, an easy transition from all that large scale properties towards stuff like HMOs. And oh yeah, it was. It was quite easy. Yeah. The fact that we, the mere knowledge and experience of having worked over all of those, it was much easier to get into this and continue doing this. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you've obviously got a lot more knowledge than a lot of property investors being stuck in the industry so long. Um, so can we go into stacking deals a bit? I really want to pick your brains on this as I feel like it. Perfect. Give, Let's do that. Yeah, give a lot of value to people. So um, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Um, what, what, what would you rather look at? Would you rather look at um, new builds or HMOs? What, what would you, what you tend to prefer? I prefer to do developments. Okay. But HMOs do work. Okay. Well, can we go into HMOs first? Perfect. No problem. Okay. So perfect. So a HMO. One thing that a lot of people try and do is they try and split up these properties um, in non-article four areas and turn them into HMOs. But I think one of the biggest struggles with doing this is even when people go on courses and everything like that, it's hard for people to understand the refurb side of it. So what types of things should people be um, sort of planning or doing when they're looking at these properties? First of all, you clearly need to have a proper viewing checklist. So you know exactly what you're viewing over there when you set out in the to go for a viewing you know, all the points that you need to factor in and view. Uh, so you don't miss out things that you need to factor in. Now, between me and my business partner, we've been viewing so many properties, we don't really need a checklist, but we are very clear as to what we need to see and how we go about. Checking for damp in the house, checking for any mold, checking for windows, what type of windows they are, checking for chimneys, how big the chimney brackets are. And checking for chimney from the external side um, when you visit walk around is there any uh, what is that thing called um, is there any japanese knotweed or anything See, so like this i can just talk to you about a few things 
Yeah. The reason why I tell you is to look, you need to have a clear checklist. Each one of these have a cost impact. When you're treating them or when you're changing them, when you're repairing them, whatever you're doing, each one of them will have a cost impact. So oh, so all of that adds to your refurb cost. Until and unless you prepare a clear brief of what work needs to be done for your builder to come and do it for you, there's no way they would finalize a perfect cost. It could keep going on for too many unknowns. Rather than that, guide it in a manner that you define it well. So when you're walking around the properties with your checklist and you're looking for um, things that add a cost, how do you know? Is there any certain way? I know this is quite a broad question, but I'll speak from experience now. So when I viewed properties, one of the things I used to struggle with was judging whether, for example, the damp, how bad the damp was, what I needed to do. Um, the youth, like from Amazon, you can pick up a thing called damp meter. It comes for a few quid, maybe I think 20, 25 quid. So you take the damp meter, it'll tell you exactly how damp is that wall. Okay. So move that damp meter along the wall to see where exactly is the damp. Is it localized to a specific area or is it spreading? If it's spreading, how is it spreading? Yeah. Okay. Because I know a lot of people when they start off a property, damp scares a lot of people. Um, just seeing damp, they think it's going to be a massive cost. Is it a massive cost? Or can, uh, sometimes can it be quite reasonable? Sometimes it cannot be massive. Sometimes, like if there's a big crack or if there's a big water seepage happening from somewhere, then it is a massive cost. It all depends on damp is an effect of something. Yeah. So you need to yeah. find the cause of what is happening. Why is the damp appearing? So if the cause is just minor cracks, it's easy to fix. If the major crack, then you need to figure out whether it's structural and how do you fix it. Okay. Okay. But it's also for example, for example, I visited a property yesterday uh, and there was a lot of damp. Like I said, good part of it was damp was localized to a certain area. And when you look at it from outside, you realize that that area is basically the chimney. The chimney stack for it is on the exterior side of the property and not incorporated within the walls. Okay. So in such a scenario, what you need to do is you need to either render the chimney with a waterproof render, like yeah. what you put on the external yeah. side, or you need to repoint the chimney. Okay. Okay. And then look at the chimney top and change the cowls maybe to give a broader cap so there's no water seepage in. Okay. Okay. But you can use them all as bargaining chips when you negotiate. Yes, you can use all of those as the bargaining chips. Like basically, the reason why you do this is everything that adds to your additional cost, you before you put an offer, you factor in all these costs and you explain how you've arrived at your cost and use them as a bargaining chip. So again, that's why technical knowledge is key because um, it doesn't just help with the actual refer process. Your negotiating skills um, benefit exactly. quite a lot. Um, so another thing I used to struggle with, with when going on the going on refurbs is um just uh, can i just spitball a couple of things that uh, i think i hope we can mention so like windows sure. when do you need to know if you need to change the windows are there any signs um uh you'll have to look at is there any condensation within the window so you'll know whether there's any cracks or is the seal broken or anything like that because normally we have uh what do you say you don't have single layered when single panel window you have double panel so with a vacuum in between if there's condensation inside then you need to see what needs to be done if there are any cracks around the window, then you need to change. 
with the single pan- old buildings used to have a single panel windows and the single panel is not what you want you want a double panel because from a heating point of view it helps from an efficiency point of view okay okay um what well, about uh, all new buildings have the double panel windows okay so okay. what about um boilers and any tips for boilers how to look out whether a boiler needs replacing or whether you can keep the existing boiler i just look at whether it is been serviced or not if it has been serviced and the gas passed through the gas safe then we are okay 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 perfect and then another thing that a lot of people struggle with again is the fuse box so yeah. I, mean, i i some some properties i struggle to even find the fuse box but i mean what <laughs> would you what would you need to what would be your tips to someone going into a property for the first time um, when it comes to the fuse box easiest is to speak to the uh, vendor if the vendor is present in the house occupier who is there in the house just ask them when was when did you get last uh, the electricity certificate checked uh, when did you get the um, eicr done so electricity installation certificate and uh, inspection uh, check done for uh, the property if it was something quite fairly recent then you are okay with if it is not then it's best to change the whole do a whole rewiring okay awesome so that was hmos that was quite a bit on hmos can we go into developments now i kind of want to go yeah. through i know a lot of people well it plays into hmos as well but a lot of people struggle to find an accurate end value um for these properties is there a sort of formula people can follow or a way that they can figure it out or what are you referring to as the end value for the hmos or for the development so let me do the hmos first okay hmos you basically uh, if it is going to be a brick and mortar then it's purely dependent on uh, uh, comparables if yeah. it is going to be on uh, if it is not brick and mortar with a commercial valuation then you try and figure out what is the commercial valuation multiple in that area and then based on that you arrive at a valuation So how would you actually figure out the commercial valuation number? I know it you could multiple. I know you can't be um 100%, but are there any tips to work out the the CRM? Speak to a few uh, landlords in the neighboring area who have got uh, a commercial valuation done for their HMO and uh, based on that factor in a, a value. Obviously like for example I might get a valuation of 10.2 but when you go you might not get 10.2 you might get 9.8 okay so it's so just factor in that contingency and uh, uh, figure and then go for it okay awesome awesome so with new builds then um yeah. how does one go about finding a gdv for a new build you work with on the basis of calculating what area you're developing so like for example you take the square footage of the new build that you're doing you look at uh, comparable value for a similar new build for a similar property in the area and then you go on the basis of that okay okay but something i've struggled with as well would you have any tips so i'll give again my example uh, me for an example this area that i live in there aren't that many new builds at this time okay So I understand your question where you are coming from so what in such scenarios what you need to do is you look at a similar property maybe terraced be detached semi detached yeah. which has been sold in the last year or two yeah. you uh, check the price at which it was sold and then you look at the floor plans on right move some floor plans do have an area some don't yeah. if they do just divide the floor area by uh, 
the no, sorry you divide the total so selling price divided by the area you get per square foot number in case you don't find that a good tip is to look at the epc register yeah the epc register will have an area for that unit okay so you, uh, so you take the area and then you find the per unit uh, rate and for new bill you can always add 15 to 20% as the new bill premium okay okay so normally i mean conservative 15% hello can you hear me, me? yeah i can hear you sorry i lost you in between no way so conservative about 15% to 20 yeah yeah not 20 is may not really, really be the right number say let's say 10 to 15% you can add on like for example in your area where there's no new bills if you have to create a new bill you can add 10 to 15% premium the reason being it's one it's new build it's all newly done up you are providing nhbc warranty you are providing electrical installation certificate you are providing gas certificate you are doing everything and it is all being done new it's not just testing of what is there but it's actually the installation also is by certified uh, trades people okay perfect and that's that's with um flats um any any units yeah okay respect awesome and then um what i also wanted to kind of go into is because i didn't know this until we had a conversation so i'm some other people maybe in the same boat how do you actually work out the the sort of build cost of a refit because I, i you don't i guess you don't when you're doing multiple thing um when you're doing multiple units i used to think you'd go and price up every single tile but that would take ages um every single shower head that sort of thing you need to do that at a detail level you have a quantity survey to do that yeah. but at a bulk level you need to figure out how much you can you would spend on that so easiest way is to first get builders to come and give you the price yeah in case you're yeah. not having uh, you don't have any builders uh, to get your price then you work with there are web based platforms which will tell you how much each work will cost uh you in order to arrive at a cost refurb cost is only by experience that you'll be able to get those refurb costs it's very difficult just to come up in the market and say i want the refurb cost and this is what it will cost it will not happen that way you need to work with a few builders you'll need to do a few projects at that stage you'll be able to tell or you need to do a costing for a few projects and then you'll be able to tell how much that would cost if in case you're not able to do any of these higher aqs maybe for 100 150 quid they'll give you a pricing uh, strategy because i know a lot of people um when they get into sourcing for example a drawn to land deals and um, i feel it's something a lot of people would struggle with at the start is actually stacking these deals um correct so yeah i mean you need professional advice don't you because you can't be exactly sell in a deal um when it doesn't stack up so we talked earlier about the specific things that you actually look at when we're on a viewing could we name a couple of them and could we go through why we look for each of them perfect no problem um uh the few things that we look out is what's the layout of rooms okay the reason for that is if you are doing it from an hmo perspective you would want to maximize the layout you want you might want to demolish a few walls uh put in a few partition walls to get additional rooms or to make some rooms larger or whatever that is you look at layout of the rooms second when you're checking the layout you check which of those are stud walls which of those are actual structural walls a simple knock test you will know if you do a knock you'll know whether the stud partition wall or whether the uh, solid wall uh, that's there 
you check if there's any extensions that have been built because if there's an extension already done uh, it might impact you getting additional extension as well because it you they might have already explored the uh, pd rights you might have to go for planning route for that yeah then check if there's any dampness and if there's any mold growth anywhere in the house so you just you just mentioned the pd rights there um yeah can you go over permitted development rights quickly and just summarize it for people who don't know uh it's best i don't talk about it if, uh, if you can get a planning consultant it'll be better coming from a planning consultant than coming from me hari don't mind okay yeah no worries no worries but i know what it i know what pd means and what it's thing but if in case i do something incorrect i say something incorrectly it's best it comes from a planning consultant because they do this in and out no worries they, no worries so what what when you when you're walking around these properties um and you're looking for to extend um some of the rooms or make some of them bigger are you always thinking with these hmo projects i want to put an ensuite in yeah because ensuite is something that will help you uh, fetch better uh, room uh, rentals every month but is it is it always is it always worth it because something i struggled with was um when i was it's not always worth it it's not always worth it it yeah. all depends on whom you are offering a room to uh, you need to profile your client first and then you need to decide what product yeah for example yeah. if you are trying to offer it to a student uh, for a student paying that additional 50 or 100 quid because there's an ensuite will be too much when compared to a professional professional would want his own privacy and would want a separate ensuite He yeah. might not want to yeah. share a bathroom, but a student wouldn't mind sharing a bathroom. Yeah, yeah. If your end customer is a student, then you don't need ensuite. If your end customer is a professional, you need ensuite. Because I remember when I stacked the deal, I remember you and your partner, business partner, pushing me um, to do ensuites because um, it can attract a more um, respectful client sometimes. Um, when you get the ensuite, sometimes you get. I was it was told putting an ensuite in normally drives the price up, and you can often get a client who won't um, sort of mess with the property as much. Mm. Um, so basically, that's what it depends on uh, who your end user is, and accordingly, you can uh, try and do the uh, figure out how to go about. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, how does someone actually grow their knowledge on a refurb then? Because it's not something that, um, I mean, as you said, lots of different. You need to do projects when you need to do projects. You need to shadow builders. You need to work with them. You need to. It's only that way that you'll be able to grow your knowledge, or you need to attend. Uh, uh, school. Uh, do go for go to grad school, which will help you uh, improve your knowledge on uh, construction projects and methodologies and refurbishments. Okay, so it's it's really either hands-on or extensive learning. Exactly. Side. Yeah. Okay. So, would you advise inv- investors to actually be a bit more hands-on with their first couple of projects? Yes, because that'll help them a long run. That'll give them the ins and outs. That'll definitely give them a complete understanding of what's happening. Yeah, and I mean, it can it can kind of gives them a bit of. Um... It's kind of like you have heard the saying, "Rubber meets the road." Yeah. So you get. Only then you get a feel of what it is. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of gives you a bit more security with not getting kind of ripped off in some certain exactly some certain aspects. But of course, you've got to find a builder you trust then, because um, to show you. 
because I can imagine being a builder, it would be quite annoying having this investor <laughs> around all day <laughs> trying to lay bricks or something like that. Um, so, true, true, true. What, what, what would you say your, let's just go into a bit about you now quickly. Um, what would you say your favourite property book is then, man? I don't have a favorite property book, but I have a book which is very helpful in the property industry. Okay. Uh, there's a book called uh, Negotiate as if your life depends on it. Okay. So what is that about? It, it basically tells you it's from an FBI, uh, uh, ex-FBI uh, investigator, negotiator, uh, who negotiates with uh, people and tries and secures the, uh, with, what do you say? How do I put this? With He negotiates with kidnappers and uh, other dangerous people to try and get things out. Yeah. yeah. So he tells, he puts it uh, of how, he gives you way, various ways in which you can negotiate and in which you can kind of uh, work with them. Okay. Awesome. And I, I know you, you read a lot. Um, yeah, actually, I've stopped reading. I've been listening on. Uh, uh, yeah, it's the book is called "Never Split the Difference," and then uh, it's uh, by a gentleman called Christopher Wash. So, how many how many books do you get through at the moment? Are you still doing? Because I remember you were doing a book a week. No, man, I'm not able to do that. I've stopped doing that for about uh, two and a half, three months now. And the last three, three and a half months, I've not been able to. I've been able to do one book in two, three, two, two or three weeks. Earlier, I used to do one book a week. That's a lot of development there. Actually, what I used to happen is that time I used to drive, drive a lot as well. So during my drive, most of it was uh, kind of um, going to get things sorted that way. Like most of my drive time would be on Audible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, my drive also has reduced, and uh, so it's not just not happening. Yeah, and it's 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 when you're driving long distances, it is nice to have a book rather than music. I find as well because it keeps you engaged. Um, it, Sometimes it can be very boring as well. Yeah, you but again, it depends, it depends what book you listen to, doesn't it? Um, so, Jasmine, let's pretend now for a sec that you were completely at the start of your journey. Um, you completely start getting into property. What advice would you give yourself? What you are doing, networking. Networking. <laughs> networking. <laughs> My advice would be to go network, speak to as many people, learn from the best, get people in your network, get investors in your network, get high net worth individuals in your network, and then start off while you're doing, while you're working with your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, network, networking is a great way for, to allow you to grow your knowledge, just way for free. Exactly. Which is um, it's not only your knowledge, capital, experience. When you network, you'll find like-minded people you can joint venture with. It'll help. Networking will help you find deals. Networking help you many ways. Yeah, yeah. And it just it just completely changes um, your outlook at some things. I mean, I never would be where I am at the moment without exactly. I wouldn't have a following or anything like that. I mean, I know a lot more people in the property industry now. That I know more people in the property industry than I know anyone else than I have friends. <laughs> else the so, um, what, what would you say? What would you say your plans are for the next ten years? Then, I 
want to go down the development route we need i want to establish a development firm and work towards build building more houses okay any specific goal uh, i don't have a 10 year goal but i do have a 5 year goal over the next 5 years i want to have done at least 50 houses 50 houses okay okay for yourself or build build to sell or build to hold either it'll be a combination of both awesome awesome so you're looking to grow your portfolio quite a bit in the next five yes. years so, yeah and all new build developments is not uh, hmos are not about buying and keeping it's about new build or it's about refurb and so on and so forth and you're thinking about stepping away from the sourcing completely or will you still keep sourcing as well we will continue sourcing on the side Awesome. Because you come across deals which you can, you may not be able to do it yourself. Those deals you, you might have, have always sourced. Awesome, awesome. Do you have any deals available at the moment, or are you still on the hunt? We have uh, a few deals. It's uh, getting closed, and uh, some of them we are doing it ourselves. And we are now focusing on um, getting more deals direct to vendor. Yeah. We have created a pipeline. We'll start shooting out letters to vendor in January. Awesome, awesome. So, how do people get in touch with you and chat on your mailing list? Uh, best way is to reach me on WhatsApp. The number is zero seven four six seven nine eight eight four eight nine, or alternatively, just uh, look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn, and you'll be able to get in touch with me. Awesome. I'll put your digital business card as well um, in the link for this. So, if anyone wants to contact Jasim, he's got all his contact links on there. Um, Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Jasim. Pleasure, mate. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Hopefully, I spoke to um, Ledio as well last time. Hopefully, at one point we can get we both on, um, and people can see what you two are like together, going back and forth, beefing each other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, man. Perfect. Take care. Thanks very much for coming on. Um, hope everyone enjoys. Full episode is on Spotify, so check it out and. Um, Yeah, hope everyone has a good week. See you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye.